0: So today we're going to spend a little time. I want to warn you ahead of time. I normally try to keep my sermons brief, concise. I might take a little extra time today to share a word with you, and I hope you don't mind. You can go to the next slide. Thank you. Today we're going to be continuing our uh, series on Advent, and we're going to talk about today. Actually, it should be this. Oh, slide one was the title, I think. Okay, slide one was the title. There you go. Um, So, Advent, a new world of peace. Thank you, Ryan. You're on top of things, buddy. Um, Advent, a new world of peace. And Now, this is going to take us a little bit of time to walk through. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. So, while I'm chatting here, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in two passages in particular. They're only a couple pages away from each other. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And then we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. Now we're going to take some time to walk through these passages together as a congregation. Because in order for us, I think, to fully grasp uh, these passages, I've got to take a little time to give you some historical context to these passages or otherwise uh, much of this might go over all of our heads and the reason that's important for us to do today is because there is so much imagery. There's so much symbolism that we're seeing in this text. So we do want to take a little bit of time to walk through this together. And I promise you, if you will allow me to take you on a journey this morning, I will get you to an amazing place at the end. But we are going to take a little journey through history. So again, thank you for your patience as we walk through this together. So the book of Isaiah, as I kind of give you the context, in Isaiah chapter 9, again, the imagery, the symbolism can sometimes be a little over our heads as we examine scripture together. And forgive me, I'm way ahead of myself here on my slide, so forgive me. So the contextual setting of Isaiah chapter 9, let's walk through that for a minute before we read the passage it is critical for us to understand this history here. This is a time in Israel where the nation was, how do I put it, in a bit of disarray. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel was facing both external and internal threats. In particular, externally, they were Um, experiencing the threat of invasion from the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you're not familiar with history, the Assyrian Empire at that time was a powerful nation that was posed, that, that posed rather a constant threat to the nation of Israel, used by God to bring punishment to the nation for walking away from God and for leaving their covenant with the Lord. And obviously this time of great oppression, this time of uncertainty, caused, as you would imagine, this sense of fear. A sense of instability and uncertainty among the people. And I think we could understand that. It caused what the scriptures describe as a, as a darkness. And we're going to read the passage in just a second. But this darkness that we're going to read about early in this passage symbolizes the gloom, the despair, the hopelessness that enveloped the nation due to this imminent threat of invasion and ongoing conflict. So let's take a minute. I do have the slides up on the screen. And so we'll read this together. Starting in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. There you go. Let's read this together. It says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. I'm going to pause there for a moment. But Isaiah is describing our regions within the territory and he's describing them in a very unique way here. Let's continue. In verse 2, we we read The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dar- in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nations, you will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of the harvest, as people rejoice when they divide the spoils for you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders the rod of their oppressors as at the battle of Midian for every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle and the cloak rolled in blood will be burning fuel for the fire verse six this is what a verse that many of us know well for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Amen. Lord, thank you for the reading and revelation of your word. We pray this morning, Lord, that it fill us and instruct us and guide us in right living and in relationship with you, Father. So we thank you and the people of God say, amen. So thank you for taking the time to read that again. We're going to read some scriptures from, verse, or from chapter 11, but before we do, we have to set the stage because chapter 11 is a continuation of what's being described here in chapter 9. So the distress of Israel, beloved, during this period of time is, as we mentioned, both internal, what they were doing, and external, what was being done to them. Internally, though, the nation was grappling with political corruption, social injustice, spiritual waywardness. Internally, the nation was struggling, and their leadership was marked often by unrighteousness, marked by injustice, leaders who walked away from their covenant with God. Geographically speaking, The nation uh, or the the territories that are described here in the text are the northern kingdom of Israel. And what was interesting about this area is that they were at the crossroads of invading armies. If you're not familiar with the modern-day territory today, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali sit in Syria and in Jordan in modern-day geography. And so as you can see, it was quite literally a battleground territory where invading armies would come back and forth. And they were set in the middle of this territory. And this is why in the text you hear specifically of Zebulun and Nephtali being referred to and symbolizing the just this epitome, the symbol of suffering and oppression. But it highlights that this area, this northern kingdom of Israel was affected by a darkness by these foreign powers. So in the backdrop, now here's the prophet Isaiah with now this context, right? This is the backdrop of our discussion today. So now Isaiah's prophecy doesn't just leave us in the dark, literally and metaphorically. The prophecy Isaiah now becomes a beacon of hope because what happens immediately after we see this passage of darkness in verse 1? Isaiah moves immediately into verse 2, and what does he say? That there is a promise of great light that is dawning in the midst of the darkness. What does that mean? So Isaiah here is signaling that there is now, beloved, A divine intervention that is taking place that will bring not only salvation, but will bring restoration. And the image, and I want you to picture this because it says that they were in darkness. And Isaiah's prophecy then says that the light is cutting through the darkness, serving as this powerful metaphor that God's redemptive work is always active even in the face of adversity. So Isaiah's message here is timely for a nation that's in crisis. Some of this, y'all going to be like, hmm, this sounds familiar. So Isaiah's prophecy is really, really timely for this nation in crisis. And I don't know if you guys have read the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah isn't exactly sensitive to their rebellion and their walk. Isaiah comes with some pretty strong words. But here, Isaiah comes to this nation in crisis offering a message of hope and of assurance. And the historical background of this darkness and this distress magnifies the significance of this promise. It amplifies this, that we have an anticipation of a coming Messiah that breaks through the darkness How exciting would it have been for a nation in distress to receive such a message of hope? You see, it serves as a reminder for every single one of us that even in the darkest moments of human history, that God's redemptive plan is still active, that it's still moving, and that God is bringing not only light, but he's bringing peace to those who are willing to trust in his promises. Let's talk a little bit about this promised light because he goes on and he tells us that this promised light comes through who? He tells us that it is through a child who would be born to us, but let me not get ahead of myself because Isaiah 2, 9, 2 through 7 contains a profound prophetic promise that should resonate with every single one of us that gives us this message of hope and anticipation, focusing on the advent of this great light and the birth of a child who would bring forth to every one of us, to the nation at that time, and now even to us, this unparalleled peace. And this passage is often read during this time of year. So often I hear people read or they know the passage of verse 6. Go to that slide for me, brother. Go, go to uh, slide. There where, we go. Okay. Let's stay here just for a minute. Often people know verse 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Many people know this verse. This is something that we we sing about, we pray about, we praise about during this time of year. But what many of us forget is what came before that verse and what comes after that verse. Because what comes before that verse should give us the context of what excites us. What comes after the verse should give us great anticipation of who this man God is really is and so in the opening verse though of verse 9 Isaiah sets the stage here in this verse of something so powerful and again time is limited I got so much to say today so I want to try to get through this as quickly as I can but again I don't want to rob you of the word today so please bear with me but the opening verse of verse 9 it really sets the stage for this imagery of darkness dissipating. I want you to hear me when I say that it opens the door for darkness dissipating in the presence of a great light. I want to read verse verse. Uh, I'm sorry, I said verse nine. I meant chapter nine. Let's read verse two again. It says, "The people walking in darkness have set a, have seen a great light." to those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Has anyone ever watched the sun come up? I raise their hands. anyone ever actually the beauty of sun coming up? Where there's nothing but darkness and all of a sudden over the horizon pierces this glimmer of light that breaks the night. And what hope? I don't know if you've ever stayed up all night or you just woke up to watch the sunrise. In my time in the military, especially when I was in the desert, I've stayed up all night on watch where it's cold and it's lonely and there's no one with me but my battle buddy, so to speak, and he's sleeping, right, because I'm on duty, I'm on watch, and you're all by yourself in the quiet of the night. It's dark and you're lonely. There's just something that takes place in your spirit when the light breaks over the horizon where it's like, okay, I'm good now. The The darkness has been broken, and this is what's happening here in this great context of this scripture is now the light of the world in this child who would be born is now breaking through the darkness of the lives of these people, and this poetic language that's being used here in the text, it paints such a beautiful picture of a world shrouded in the spiritual and in the metaphorical Darkness, where people are walking in the shadows of despair and loneliness, hopelessness, and all of a sudden emerges a great light in this passage that signifies divine intervention. There's a cosmic shift that is taking place in this passage that dispels the gloom and brings forth an illumination to the lives of those who are enveloped in darkness hear that sound familiar to some of you today? But the symbolism of the light that we read in the Bible sometimes can represent different things and various aspects of God's character. Often in the, in the scriptures, you see that light describes the character of God's truth, his guidance, and oftentimes you'll see that the light describes salvation. But in this context, this great light that emerges represents the coming Messiah. Uh, It represents the one whose birth heralds in a new era, an era where you're no longer lost in the dark, and this divine revelation comes forth to give us a divine salvation for all people. You know, when I wrote that, I said amen to myself. (laughs) I said amen, because I really felt that in my heart as I wrote those words, and I because why the light is not merely a physical occurrence beloved the light that is described here is so much more it is a spiritual awakening that takes place here in this passage it is not just some physical dawn of light of the day but it is an awakening that brings clarity an awakening that brings understanding to a world that is lost in the shadow of sin and brokenness but isaiah continues In this passage to articulate the significance of this event. He didn't just leave us to tell us that light now enters into the world. Isaiah went even further for us and to our benefit, beloved, to describe the significance of this transformative event here in the passage by prophesying that there would be a child who would be born. I'll read the passage again in case you forgot it. For to us a child is born To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called – these titles are so powerful, we'll we'll talk a little bit about these titles – Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, this child who was born into this world is no ordinary figure, but this child is one with extraordinary titles – And by saying to you that these titles are extraordinary, that word isn't extraordinary enough to describe the titles that are assigned to the Messiah here in the passage. Why? Because these these titles that are assigned to the Messiah encompass his divine nature and his redemptive mission. And it tells us how multifaceted his mission is. And it's not just that his mission is to bring light and salvation to the world. Yes, but it's so much more complex. And because of that, we're seeing these titles. So let's talk very briefly about these titles very quickly. The title Wonderful Counselor. We see this title assigned and it speaks to the wisdom and guidance that the Messiah will provide. A counselor that is beyond human understanding. He surpasses all of our wisdom. And he will lead and advise in ways that surpass anything that any human could possibly offer you. Almighty God affirms his deity, that the child that would be born was not only a man, but he was fully God, emphasizing his power and his authority in the scripture. They give him the title everlasting father. Well, that sounds weird. This is the Messiah, but it portrays the Messiah's eternal nature and how he has signifying his timelessness and that he is the unchanging source Of this paternal love and care. But here's what I would argue is the most poignant title that is given in this text. Prince of Peace. And I love, I don't, when I'm reading passage, I pay close attention to the order of things. And how the order here is assigning Prince of Peace. He's closing out this list which is not an exhaustive one, by the way. He's closing out this list of titles with Prince of Peace. And I don't think that that is done by accident. But this title, Prince of Peace, because that is the theme of our sermon today is peace, right? Advent bringing us peace. It encapsulates The core of the prophetic promise here in this passage. And it is the message and the theme of our scripture today. The child's birth here in this passage, beloved, ushers in for us a new season of unprecedented peace. But this peace is not, and I want y'all to hear this. If you if you don't catch anything else I say today, please catch this. The peace that is described here is not the absence of conflict. Okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to say it again. The peace that is described here is not the absence of conflict. What is the peace that is being described here? It is a transformative peace that mends broken relationships first and foremost and primarily mending your relationship to the Almighty Father. This is the peace because it starts there. Your relationship with God is the ultimate source of your peace, so the peace described here is not about a lack of conflict in your life. It is about your now mended relationship with the Father. But how he heals not just you, but he heals all of humanity through his work and through ushering in this new time Because see, the Messiah is a reconciler. The child that would be born to us is a reconciler who brings us peace between God and mankind and establishes for us a kingdom, hear me, a kingdom where righteousness and justice always prevail. Amen. So now let's... Begin to wrap up Isaiah 9, and I want to just make a final concluding remark before we flip our Bibles a couple pages to chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 9, the the prophet underscores here this enduring nature of peace and how this child that would be born would establish an everlasting kingdom. And I love the way the scripture is written. It says the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom. I'm reading in this, this is from the NIV. But it says that he will reign over this kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This, beloved, is a declaration. I want, if, you, if, if you're inclined to write in your Bibles, which you, if you ever see my Bible, it's a mess. It's falling apart. And I, I write all in it. So if you're so inclined, that is one you may want to highlight and you want to maybe make a note on because this is a declaration that is being made that ensures us, every single one of us, that peace brought by the Messiah is not temporary, nor is it fleeting, but it is everlasting and it is rooted in justice and righteousness. Amen. Now let's change gears a little bit. Let's turn a couple pages over in our text. And let's go to chapter uh, Isaiah chapter 11. There's something really interesting going on here in this passage that I want to explore with you. And there are 10 verses that um, we're going to read here in just a moment. But this passage unveils for us, it's a continuation of, of, of chapter 9. Uh, chapter 10 gives us some great context, um, and the message was broken up. I won't get into all that, but... Um, this is a continuation of 9. And we see this prophetic vision of this coming Messiah. And I think the prophet Isaiah uses some really amazing symbolism that depicts the qualities of the Messiah. But what I find really interesting, and we're going to explore it in a moment, is in this opening passage, it describes this coming Messiah as the root, or, or the, rather the, the shoot that comes from the root of Jesse, or the stump of Jesse. That's a little odd. We're going to explore that a little bit. But it is deeply embedded in both historical and genealogical context of Israel, and it's woven into the tapestry of the image of this text that carries for us layers and layers of significance. And we're not going to do this verse-by-verse kind of exegetical um, breakdown of the text. I'm going to kind of give you Um, some high-level themes that we're going to talk about that are applicable to our message today. But it offers us such amazing insight into the restoration of the Davidic line. If you've read the book of Isaiah, the Davidic line was an axe, I think is the imagery that the, the word uses. An axe was laid to that tree, and all that remains of this Davidic line was a stump a stump guys is a dead tree okay i'm going i mean we 're going to talk a little bit about why that is so significant but see the restoration is coming through this stump and the transform transformative nature um, of the anticipated messiah and his reign is drawn out in this text so let 's read this passage together you have it up Perfect. You on it, my man. Thank you, brother. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. This is from the NIV, so I think it should be your Pew Bible, it should read the same. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. By the way, this is how powerful God is. His very word he strikes them with. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf. We're going to explain some of this, guys. This can be a little bit confusing in this imagery, but this is really important. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young children will put his hand in the viper's nest." They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Amen. I said amen to that too when I read it over and over again, every time I said amen. But the opening verses here also set a declaration that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Now remember I said to you that that is a little bit odd, that this stump will come from Jesse. Why Jesse when we're talking about the kingdom of David? What's the connection? What's this prophetic word trying to tell us today? Because it says that it will be rooted in um, Jesse, and that this branch, this shoot, will bear fruit. So if we're going to grasp, guys, the full weight of the symbolism here of what's going on, we have to dive into its historical context. What are we talking about? Who's Jesse? Who gets my gold star today? The father of David, right? Jesse is the father of David. And the stump here, guys, is representing A decline, a total and utter decline of the Davidic line. Because see, by the time that Isaiah is prophesying these words, the line of David is but a shadow of what it used to be in its former glory. That there was one failure after another after another of the line of King David. It had been literally reduced and figuratively to a stump. There was nothing visible left of his lineage that was anything resembling what God had established. It was really a diminished monarchy. But the shoot emerging from David is a powerful image that guys, God can bring life to even that which is dead. Because here God is now saying that what was dead now has life. And there is a root that is shooting out of this And that it's not a David-like, but it is a new David. See, this is why it doesn't say that it's from the root of David, but the Bible says that it's from the root of Jesse, because this is a new David that is coming. But see, God is still bringing forth and restoring now the line of David through Jesse, suggesting, guys, and this is a great message, a reminder today, suggesting to us that despite the downfalls, that God's redemptive plan is always at work in our lives, that in this passage, he is still a covenant-keeping God, and he is restoring the line of David through this shoot That is from the root of Jesse. And so we see that this image is just deeply rooted in what is coming forth. There is a continuity of covenant. God swears oaths on himself because there is no higher power for which an oath can be made. So when God makes an oath, when he makes a covenant, he makes a covenant unto himself. Why is that reassuring for me and you today? Because despite your failures, he's going to maintain his promise because he made it on himself and not you. That There is nothing you can do to thwart the promise and the covenant of God and the purpose that he has in your life. And he says that here in the passage. We see that despite David's personal failures and the failures of his descendants, that God is still maintaining his covenant that he made to him so many years before. I love the botanical imagery that's used, right? This this stump conveying the idea of resilience and vitality that there is still, uh, we're emphasizing here, that there's still the ability to rejuvenate what's been lost and to bring forth life to that which seems dead. Some of you, beloved, and I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, I promise, but some of you right now when we're reading this, you might feel like your life is so lost and dark and you might be beyond that point of return. But God reminds us today that that is so not the case, that he can bring life into your Life, even when it seems like it's gone. Amen. But the, the the symbolic richness extends beyond the mere genealogy. We're going so much further than that because this passage speaks to a broader narrative of redemption and restoration. Why? The shoot from Jesse symbolizes that the Messiah is the culmination of God's promises. It wasn't just, and we see all of this in, through the lens of history, right? But this was God's promise, the fulfillment of covenant that he made to David. And as I said, it serves as this amazing reminder that even in decline and desolation, God's redemptive plans remain steadfast. That it's holding true and strong. And that he can bring new life. He can bring new hope to every one of us today. But the qualities of the Messiah here are further explained in the subsequent verses, which hopefully, yes, we still have them. Wonderful. And so in these subsequent verses, actually it's the verses just before this, he describes a few things. He says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Spirit of counsel and might. Why give these lists? of these qualities what's the point isaiah wants us to see here that the humoration, the the collective uh, uh, uh the collective of all of those things that he's mentioning these attributes underscores as i mentioned earlier the multifaceted nature of the messiah That yes, his mission is to come to bring you restoration, to bring you salvation. Yes, that is his primary mission, but it's so much more. Because he is the king that rules over a kingdom. And as you administer and reign over the kingdom, there are things that must be done in your reign of the kingdom. You must administer justice. You must rule and make decisions. And we see all of these things being described because the spirit of the Lord rests on him. And we see his power and his authority. The spirit of wisdom and understanding highlights his intellectual acumen. That he knows all. He sees all. He's the embodiment of divine wisdom in this passage. They describe him as a counsel, which points to his ability to guide you. Anybody ever had a good counselor? A good confidant, someone who would lead you, always lead you down the right path? This scripture tells us that he is that almighty counselor who can guide you in navigating all of life's difficulties so that he can execute his plan, not yours, but so that he can execute his plan in your life. He has the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This, I love this one more than all of the others, and you know why I love this particular line where it says that he was filled with the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord? (sighs) this one more than any of them symbolizes intimacy of relationship see you cannot know someone without having intimacy of relationship because to know especially in biblical context infers intimacy It implies there's closeness. It implies that there's understanding. And it says fear of the Lord. And I love that the word fear in our modern context is always a negative connotation. But here, fear of the Lord is not a negative connotation, it's a reverence. That we have for him. That God, you are so glorious and you are so powerful and mighty and you are the creator of the world. God, I fear you. I revere you for I am but a speck of dust and you are the creator of it all. That's the fear that I'm referring to here and that Isaiah is referring to. These, these qualities and attributes per, represent for us this holistic picture, this well-rounded picture. And unlike any natural leader in the world, and thank you guys, we're, we're gonna be wrapping this up soon. I thank you so much for your patience. Just like any other leader, uh, unlike any leader in the world, this God-man represents all of this perfectly. I know a lot of great leaders. We have one here amongst us. Our senior pastor is a great leader. And he and many of us in the room, you may represent some of these qualities to varying degrees. But this person who is described here, this Prince of Peace, is the fullness of all of God's Spirit. And it culminates all in him. He is perfect. And this portrayal aligns with our expectations and the expectations of Scripture that this divine, ultimate divine ruler will bring about not only political and military restoration and all that's good and well, but more importantly, I would argue that he brings about a spiritual and a moral renewal in our lives, but not just in our lives, in our world. The subsequent verses that we read here expound on these qualities of of righteousness and the imagery of a righteous ruler described through these amazing metaphors are powerful. He's judging rightly, not by what he sees, not by what's present or seems to be present before him, but he is judging rightly. And I love this because the, the, the Scripture almost describes him as a fair judge and a champion of those who are vulnerable and downtrodden. You don't have to raise your hand, but is anyone feeling vulnerable and downtrodden today? Yeah. Well, I love this passage so much because it reminds us that we have a righteous, just ruler who is reigning, who now is the champion of the vulnerable and the downtrodden. It's this, this vivid image that's, that's painted for us that we now live or will live because we're living in the now and not yet. Some of you are familiar with that term. We say a lot in, in the theological circles, the now and not yet. Jesus is ushered in the kingdom, but it's not yet fully uh, instated or we even inaugurated it in other words, but it's not yet here. So, we're living in the now, but not yet. And so, but we still have an opportunity to live and experience this peaceable kingdom that's described here in the text. And I love it. We still got the wolf. Okay, go to the next slide for me, brother. Look at this imagery here the wolf will lie with the lamb, the shepherd, or the shepherd, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and so on and so forth. What does all that mean? Why is that so important, guys? Because, listen, here's what's happening. The whole predator prey thing that's going on here is no longer allowed. That God now controls all of that. That the imagery here that we're seeing is now these predators living alongside of their prey. Even the imagery of a child, they're all coexisting together together. Why? Because the reign of this Prince of Peace brings transformation to everything. It brings transformation not only to nature, which were described here, but all of created order is transformed by this Prince of Peace. The peace that's brought on by the Messiah is not just human-centric. The peace that's brought on by the Messiah here extends to all of created order. And I love how it's bringing and restoring harmony and balance to the world. The now, but not yet. Animals are still killing each other. We're still seeing this predator prey. The now, but not yet. And so as we see this, we're seeing these animals now living together, a wolf and a lamb. If you, like Rosa and I, do any type of farming, this is, impacts you a little more, right? I've, you experience this much more intimately. And this passage in Isaiah, for those in, in an agregorial or agricultural type of society, this resonated with them. And when they said this, I've experienced perdition with my animals and with my farm. You get the violence and the the, the ugliness of that. You get it but it says that it's now flipped on its head. That these animals are now living together in harmony. They're living together in peace. That his reign alters the entire created order. It signifies a complete reversal of the effects of sin. Go back to Genesis in the garden. None of these things happened. There was no perdition. There were no animals who were killing other animals. There was no death in the garden. So what we're saying here is that the coming of the Messiah restores the order. It deals with the effects of sin And it's so significant where animosity and violence, and not just in the animal world, but in our world. That our world that is described by so much animosity and conflict and violence is now replaced with peace and coexistence. That the presence of a little child here in this text leading these animals adds this element of innocence and vulnerability that we can now have in the presence of this God. This radical transformation that the Messiah brings can only be brought by him because it's so radical. It's profound that the most fiercest creatures are now tamed in God's presence. But his kingdom extends beyond the animal kingdom. We're not just talking about animals living together. It's so much deeper than that. Because now... It affects the human world. It touches our own human experience. That his peace, and we see it with this child leading these animals, conveys the message of humility and simplicity. Guys, we live in a world that is dominated by power struggles. Just think about it for a moment. Everything you see and experience, you watch in the news or this or that, these are just constant power struggles. And conflicts, breakdowns in communication, one person wanting to be superior over the other. And the Messiah's rule brings an end to that. It's a complete and utter paradigm shift that takes place in the Messiah's rule where now humility and gentleness, kindness are the guiding principles of his kingdom. That the vision here of the predators and prey living in harmony just speak to this transformative power of this messianic reign that's coming through this child who would be born, creating a world that is characterized by peace and righteousness and justice, reconciliation. Verse 9 brings it all together and lets us know in verse 9 that there is a universal scope to the Messiah's impact. Let's read the passage again. It says that they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, emphasizing this comprehensive nature of the Messiah's rule that extends beyond the realm of existence. God says here in this text through Isaiah that I'm eradicating on my mountain all of harm and destruction. All of it. Because of the knowledge of the Lord. It says that the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Remember I told you, what is knowledge of the Lord? Intimacy. There's proximity. There's intimacy with God. Intimacy with God will never, ever, ever leave you the same. Your intimacy and proximity to God will forever transform you. And as such, because the whole world is brought to his mountain and brought into his closeness and presence, nothing remains the same here, beloved. And in verse 11, or in, in, as we kind of recap chapter 11, as we begin to close our message today, what we're finding here are qualities and images of renewal. That in the face of all the apparent declines that we experience in our lives, that we experience in society, that we have a new life, there is a continued covenant that we have with God through this great Messiah. This passage just resonates with me. I hope that these passages resonate with you today as we see that there is a hope for the future. Where the Messiah brings us transformation. There is complete transformation and restoration to God's or to the order of, set of things in our lives. So now let's just transition as we close. What does all of this mean? What is the point? How do we get to that new place? How do we find, as we kind of close and wrap up this message, how do we find peace? amidst the turmoil of our lives. You see the historical context that we read, and thank you for allowing me to take you on this journey and give you some of this context to bring out the color in the tapestry of this passage. But what we see here, that both of these passages are marked by darkness and distress. They're marked by these looming threats in our lives and in the lives of those in this text. External aggressions, And what it does is it just bears this remarkable resemblance and parallel to our lives. That in so many moments of our lives, we experience this darkness from both internal and external threats or things in our life. Whether they're societal, political turmoil or moral decay, wayward spiritualness, Um, but it mirrors and resonates with the time of ancient Israel. And what we see is the complexity of our human experience is shown here in the scripture. And we're giving such a word of encouragement here through this passage. See, God promises peace to every single one of us today and he articulates this peace through this prophetic passage and it should and I pray for all of you today that it becomes this message of hope and of consolation for all of you. But see, just like ancient Israel, they faced hard times. They faced those threats. Darkness was pervasive. Does anyone think the darkness is pervasive today? Amen. I would agree with you. I think the darkness is quite pervasive. I see us very similar to the rebellious ancient Israel and those nations who were not serving God. And how we continue to slip further down that slippery slope of darkness and moral decay. Where we do what the scriptures describe as what is right in our own eyes where wrong is right and right is wrong and and all of those sorts of things you get where I'm going here and they live that too and similar today maybe our struggle personal struggles maybe the social unrest that you're seeing a sense of spiritual emptiness maybe some of you are feeling that today but there's a promise of a great light in Isaiah 9 verse 2. That is a light that is piercing despite it all. If you watch the news enough, it'll drive you crazy. You don't know what I mean. But despite all that darkness, we have this amazing light that is piercing piercing through this darkness and it resonates as a beacon of hope as we try to navigate this world navigate for some of us the shadows of despair that maybe we're living in right now guys I invite you to allow the light this piercing light to penetrate every corner of darkness in your life so that you can experience the arrival of the Messiah and you can become transformed by the power of God's intervention in your life, in the midst of all of your adversity. See, we're going to face challenges, guys. There's nothing that's going to change about that. Jesus said it himself. Not if, but when the challenges of life come. We know whether our crises, our relational conflicts, our financial struggles, even a sense of purposelessness Isaiah gives us encouragement that in those times of darkness that are maybe exacerbated by one thing or another, we have the hope of the promised light and the Prince of Peace who is coming into the world. So I'll close with just a few more remarks. The knowledge of the existence of darkness should not discourage you, but should reassure you Because the word tells us that he has overcome the world. The darkness that exists in the world, he has overcome it. That a child that was born to us, that is foretold in Isaiah 9, 6, brings a promise of peace that transcends our immediate challenges of our life. And they're temporal. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. All of your problems are temporal. All of your problems will soon be gone. Amen? But we have a God here whose peace is not, as I mentioned, the mere absence of conflict. But the peace that he brings is a restoration that goes right to the heart of all of our problems. He is restoring you into right relationship to the Father. If you will embrace him, if you will embrace the light, you will receive the true source of truth and enduring peace in your life. And so I want to close with this. If God, if we apply these prophetic messages that we see in the passage today into our contemporary challenges... If we would be brave enough to find hope and assurance that God's peace is not contingent, that God's peace that He offers us in this light that penetrates the darkness is not contingent on the absence of difficulties, but that His redemptive work is at play in the midst of your challenges. I want to encourage you with that today. I don't care what your challenge is. Just put a fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. God's work of redemption and restoration, his peace and light in your life is still at work in this very moment, even if you're coming in here and not really feeling it. Maybe you came in here today and you're just faking it. I want to tell you today that God is still working in your life that God has promised to bring you a peace that is beyond comprehension and understanding. If you will simply open the window to let the light of God shine into your house, into your life, he will transform you and flip you upside down if you will let him. This is an opportunity for us to allow light to penetrate all the dark corners of our heart things that maybe we didn't want to open up to God but now is an opportunity for a child was born who would bring light into the world he would be the light of the world and he would bring us peace so I want to encourage you today to do that open up the doors and windows of your heart and your life and let the light in so that you can embrace the peace that he brings you